Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Just for a moment, I want to go to the epistle where Paul reminds us to have in mind what Christ had in mind, that he sought to be a servant. And it reminds me of the story of the mother and two boys who, the boys only had enough cereal for one bowl of their favorite cereal. And they started arguing over it. And the mother said, well, if Jesus was here, he would say to his brother, you have the first bowl. And so Mickey and Jimmy were quiet for a while thinking about it. And then Mickey grabbed the bowl and said, Jimmy, you be Jesus. <laughs> Today, I want to look at the passion in the light of what happened between today and Good Friday. Something remarkable happened during that time. Because on uh, Palm Sunday, Jesus was the toast of the town. He was an overnight sensation. And uh, by Good Friday, he had become absolutely the pariah of his culture. How did the masses so radically turn against him? These shouts of Hosanna on Sunday turning into shouts to crucify him on Friday. And there were other reasons. There were the geopolitical reasons, the uh, nationalistic reasons, uh, all that led to this. But also, there was a fundamental strand in Christ's teaching that at some point was going to have to be, it was going to be recognized that it called people to be different. It called people to converge to separate from their culture. And that Jesus began to really push in the last few weeks, and especially in the last week of his life. And that's what I'd like to look at today. Uh, there are three things we're going to look at. Uh, and one of the reasons I think these are important to look at is because it caused people to turn away from Jesus then, and the same reasons cause people to turn away from Jesus now. It's good for us to analyze them, look at ourselves, see how we can help our friends. The first reason why the cheering stopped is that Jesus began to talk more and more about total commitment. Okay? Near the last week of his life, something very interesting occurred, and it significantly occurred in, occurred in public in full view of a lot of people. A rich young ruler came running up to Jesus, enthusiastic, and Jesus told this man, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, then come follow me. Now, prior to this, Jesus' message had largely been one of grace. When the 5,000 were hungry, he fed them. When they brought their sick to him, he healed them. When a woman was caught in adultery and about to be stoned, it was Jesus who came to her rescue and saved her. We're going to talk more about her in a minute. The message of his ministry is one of grace upon grace. But now he seems to be saying, okay, for three years you have been tasting my kingdom. I have been teaching you about my kingdom. 
you have experienced the benefits of my kingdom in the miracles and the healings and in the grace that is administered. Now it's time for you to commit. Are you going to live in my kingdom? Or are you going to live in this kingdom, in the world? It's interesting to note that in all four Gospels, after Jesus enters Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna and palm branches, what you find is a persistent call to commitment. These are a few of the instances. Hungry one morning, Jesus stops by a fig tree and finds no figs. He withers the tree because it's producing no fruit. The message to us is we need to live fruitful, committed lives. And then a parable is told, asking the question, who is the committed one? The son who says, oh, I'll go work, and then doesn't? Or the son who says, not all my, your life am I going to go do that, and then he has a change of heart, and he does go and do the work that the father asked him to do. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do that matters. And at this time, the greatest commandment is given, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Again, a strong call to commitment. And after the triumphal entry, we see Jesus everywhere asking for commitment and devotion from the people. He was making it clear it was time to stop being a spectator in his story and become a part of his story. He was no longer talking only about God's grace given to us. He was now speaking about the other side of the relationship. He was talking about our obligation to God. He began to talk about the obligation that rests with the person who has accepted God's grace. Remember Paul writing, I beg you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Jesus is calling us not to receive these last three years of grace in vain, but to be changed by them. The cheering began to stop when Jesus began to speak of strong personal commitment. And then another reason the cheering stopped is because Jesus dared to suggest that all people are worth loving. On Palm Sunday, Jesus goes to the temple and drives the money changers out. And after the temple has been emptied, he then invites in the blind and the lame and the outcast of society. Now, please note, nowhere is it suggested that Jesus took the time to examine their spiritual credentials. The only requirement was, I want Jesus. I need Jesus. They were, they were led into the temple, brought into the temple, because they wanted what Jesus offered. They knew they needed him. Now, Jesus teaches us in this story, and in others, how to love the sinner and still hate the sin. Because that is what he does for each of us. Then and now, Jesus tells us, what he told the woman found in adultery. I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. This isn't a big thing for us to do. We feel like we're pretty special if we actually pull that one off because it's hard for us to love the sinner and hate the sin. But it is expected of us to be humble followers of Christ. We don't do this well love the sinner and hate the sin. What tends to happen is we say, neither do I condemn you. And that sin, forget about it. Or we say, 
I'll think about not condemning you after you sin no more. It's very hard for us to love the sinner and hate the sin simultaneously. But if we don't hate the sin, we are betraying Christ. He didn't die on the cross because, well, it didn't really matter. He forgave because we had to be forgiven. Because it was essential. Haven't you ever had those experiences in your life where uh, you forgive? Not because it's no big deal, but because the only way you're going to get past the hurt, the pain that's been caused is by forgiving. Jesus forgave because there was no other way for us to be in a relationship again with God. So never believe that go and sin no more was lightly said. It was a part of the whole. By bringing in these people, Jesus is saying no one is special. All people have access to God. It is his way of saying that this is what the kingdom's going to be like. It's going to be all kinds of people. You know, in, in the Middle East, in Israel, during that time especially, the, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, different stages of culture, caste system, uh, was really strong. And people were so offended that Jesus brought the unclean in with the clean. Uh, because he's the one who makes people clean. And so his kingdom is going to look like that. But the thing is, is some of us don't have room for those kind of people in our idea of heaven. Uh, you know, we joke about uh, certain denominations, and we say, shh, don't wake them up. They think they're the only ones here uh, regarding heaven. But uh, all of us have some idea of who's going to be in heaven and who's not. And uh, I dare say, for most of us, we're going to be shocked when we get there. Uh, as Jesus said one time, tax collectors and, and prostitutes will be getting into heaven before you guys. So, Jesus is saying every caste, every level of society, ignorant, intelligent, poor, rich, cultured, uncultured, they matter. And he says in Matthew 25, 45, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. On the way to the capital city, a poor blind beggar cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what was the response of the crowd? They told him to shut up. They told him Jesus is more important and has busier things to do, better things to do, than to deal with a man like you. But Jesus acts like the man is as important as anyone else, and he heals him. And then Jesus makes his triumphant entry into the city, and there are shouts of Hosanna, blessed be the son of David. But look who it is in the temple court that is yelling out this proclamation. Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's children who at that time had no rights in society whatsoever. Time and again, it is the ones who are powerless in society 
who recognize that Jesus is their savior. Those who have power resist Jesus. This is still a temptation for the powerful today. It's still difficult to admit we need help, to admit we are weak, to admit we need a savior. We can't do it on our own. I love the story Jack Matters tells of a Special Olympics several years ago where nine special children were lined up for a 100-yard dash. And the gun sounded and the race was off, but only a few yards into the race, one of the children tripped and fell and skinned himself and started crying. And all the other children heard him, heard him crying. And somehow or another, they had never been taught, look out for number one. They had been taught, love one another. And all eight other children, rather than taking advantage of this opportunity to win, turned around and ran back to this child. And one little girl with Down syndrome kissed him, and then somebody else brushed him off, and they picked him up, and all nine of them together, arm in arm, ran to the finish line. Now, for just one moment, these children were showing us the kingdom of God. They challenged the world's concept that first place is everything. In the race that we're in, Jesus says everyone matters. We're all going to get there together. Particularly those who have fallen and are on the outside. Why did the cheering stop? Well, because on Palm Sunday, Jesus opened the doors of the church to everyone. It angered some people then, and it still angers some people today. But it is the way of his kingdom. And finally, I'd suggest to you that the cheering stopped because Jesus began to talk more and more about a cross. Increasingly, Jesus began to talk about sacrifice, even giving up your own life. Jesus' teaching been leading up to this. Before entering Jerusalem, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. That pretty much puts an end to all the things I had planned. I have to focus on what Jesus has planned if I'm going to do that. There's a story told of a peewee baseball game when the young boy who got up to the plate was signaled by his coach to... Uh, do a sacrifice bunt and he signaled that he understood and then he promptly proceeded to take three big swings and strike out and the coach ran up to him and said didn't you see me give you the signal to sacrifice and the boy replied well yes I did but I didn't really think that you meant it isn't that what we often say to God yes Lord I heard that talk about sacrifice I really didn't think you meant it. But the cross today says he really did mean it. Think of the woman in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Why did you keep sinning? Well, I really didn't think you meant it. Don't we all do that? Why did the cheering stop? Why did the crowd turn on Jesus? It stopped because Jesus more and more began to talk about commitment. It stopped because Jesus opened up the doors of the church and invited people to come in. 
But most importantly of all, it stopped because Jesus began to talk about a cross. We ask then and now, what can God do for me? And I think if we examine our prayer lives, we would all find that that's the first question we ask, is what can God do for me? And Jesus responds, what will you do for God? We say, it's all about me. And Jesus responds, love your neighbor. We want a God who gives us whatever we ask for, but who doesn't ask for much from us in return. And Jesus responds, there's room up on this cross. Join me. Take up your cross and follow me. Just who does he think he is? Who was he to be making these demands on us? Well, in the words of the centurion who was near him when he died, surely he was the son of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.